Good morning. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. And today we're talking about what Saul calls the big picture versus detail. Correct. <laughs> so when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how people create adventures and how they plan to implement their venture, how they're going to run the session. Or actually not even run the session, how they're going to think up the adventure and how they're going to approach it. So to me, like a big picture is big ideas with less details and less less work involved for the GM to come up with a game for a for any kind of genre or any kind of RPG. And detailed is somebody who like likes to plan and to write down a lot of notes. Usually they're like people who make a lot of maps. And I think this is the way modules are written. A lot of modules have a map. In the, well, at least in the old days, they would have a dungeon or a castle or a keep that the players either had to investigate, infiltrate, or clear out, or whatever the specific module said. For example, the, the steading of the hill giant was we go in there and clear out the hill giants from their steading or figure out why they're going crazy and attacking everybody, which usually involved going in there and killing everything, right? I mean, there was a hack and slash kind of adventure. And indeed, against the giants, which is the, the module I've talked about in the past, each and every one of them was like a dungeon. This one was a steading with like a large, a large house that the hill giants had. And then the, the next one was the, I believe it was the frost giants. And then it was the fire giants. It's very hard to make friends with hill giants, though, or any giants, because they're giant. Yeah, they're, they're not very, uh, well, they're not very smart, and they're very brutish, and they're very, they're geared towards violence. And they're oriented to fight each other for power, right? There's, that's true, right, right, right. Correct. So looking at that, and looking how modules were created, I think, and the way gameplay was supposed to work, more or less... I was that kind of kid and teenager playing more or less hack and slash. And at the same time, if I were to design stuff or think about how an adventure would go, it would always start with a map, right? I, I made a ton of maps when I was a kid. I made dungeons. I made towns. I even wrote, I even made uh, like islands or continents and pop, not populated them, but, but I put little like, mountain ranges and grasslands and lakes and stuff like that in these imaginary worlds that I would map out because I actually had graph paper or hex paper at the time. So that's pretty cool. So that would be detail-oriented. Yeah, and the problem with that I had, the problem I had at the time was that sometimes I would just make a map without any kind of foresight or planning or anything that made sense. So, for example, uh, at the time, we were playing in Greyhawk. The idea was that each of us would take a section of Greyhawk and run adventures in that world. Now, Greyhawk is huge. It's like Forgotten Realms. And anyway, I, I chose a place called Perrinland, and I copied by hand a map of Perrinland from the big map that they had back in the day of I've forgotten realms, but of Greyhawk. And so with that, I, I noticed where the towns were and stuff like that. And I would put like a, a strange town or a dungeon just randomly on a map where I thought it looked cool. And I remember 
I made up a town in Parentland, and I literally mapped out the whole town. And since every town or map that I remember seeing as a kid had like a legend or a key legend or a key where it would say what was where, I decided to do that. But I decided to get like really fancy and use colored pencils and I would have stripes, diagonal stripes, horizontal stripes and and different colors and that and the key was that way instead of numbering like one, two, three, four, five. Which made more sense because after a while it I kind of ran out of ideas for, ran, for yeah for different types of uh, uh, map stripes and colors. But anyway, I and then I populated you know who was you know, what kind of business it was, and I wrote a little blurb about who was the owner and what their personality was like and stuff like that. Of course, I never used that map. That was another thing. That's another thing about these things is that a lot of times you're just using up time. And never get to use it, which as a teenager, you know, it wasn't such a big deal, right? You're a teenager, you got time to waste no matter what. So that's one example of of map making for just just doing it because that's what I saw from modules that you had to have a map. And then I'll, I'll give you like quick four examples. The, uh, they would call that creativity today. Okay. <laughs> Well, it, it, but it was like it was it wasn't directed creativity, right? Like if you're trying to use something for a game, you want to get to use it. And well, a lot of times, sometimes you do. Yeah, that's true. Because you don't know which way your players are going to go. And then I had a dwarvish mine. Well, it wasn't a mine. Okay, it was an underground complex, and it had been abandoned. I think that I got I must have got the idea from Moria, right? The from Tolkien. I never did do a background of how or why it was abandoned. Like, where did all the dwarves go? I think maybe I was being sly or thought I was being sly and thinking that was a mystery. But I, ne- I, I didn't have an answer to that mystery. And I just, I populated all kinds of traps. Like if dwarves being dwarves, in my mind at the time, the way I thought they were, they would have all these traps. Like if they were to be, what is it? Uh, invaded? Invaded. They would have these, these bridges that would collapse. They would have these these uh, halls that would uh, that would become blocked and stuff like that as they retreated to their main throne area and and that was it and i didn't populate with anything except for maybe some wandering monsters that happened to break into the complex after the dwarves had disappeared another one was a a monastery that i i just just started drawing and it was the three buildings kind of in a in a tr- triangle formation and then I, I walled it off, and I called it the monastery. And and I you know I made it was very large on top of a hill, and I remember doing that. And then I made it, and I didn't even, I don't even remember what game I was playing. I know I was playing D and D, but I don't even know what world I was putting it in or anything like that. And I just remember drawing it. And then years later, I mean this was when I was a teenager. Years later, I decided to run a game uh, when third edition came out, and I go, oh, I have this cool monastery, and then. Oh, that's what I called it. And even though I didn't come up with what monks built it or what kind of religion it was or any of that kind of stuff. And when 3rd edition came out, I decided to run a campaign and I gathered you know, 13 of my closest friends and family and I ran a game and 
it was just a place to take something like the, the MacGuffin in this case, right? They were supposed to take this stone or something and put it into one of the pools that had been tainted uh, by evil. And they were supposed to like re-bless this monastery area, at least make it so it wasn't corrupting the area around it. I used it in that case. And what happened was there was a dwarf in the group who was called Flint. I think his name was Flint Iron Shield or something like that. Anyway, it was a dwarvish name anyway. Yeah, it was a dwarf, good dwarvish name, and he was a he was a paladin, and he declared it Fort Flint after he they had you know cleared out the a few bad things that were in it and did the blessing, and then later on as the as that campaign continued, which was really a series of campaigns, it was like I think I ran two or three campaigns, like big arcs or story arcs, and then. It became the group's home base, right? It was in, and then I placed that in Shadowdale, which was in Forgotten Realms. Yeah, and I was pretty lucky that I got to use it because it just had just happened that I was like, oh, I'm like, well, where are they going to take this? Because this was like a an idea I had from the Pools of Radiance. I think it was a game, a D and D game, or a book, or it might have been both. And I liked the idea of of the pools that were magical and stuff and and that's where i got the idea and i go well they gotta take it to this pool that this monastery has and they used it and i actually got to use the map which i'm pretty excited about i think that you're not alone i'm sure there are lots of um game masters out there who spend hours and hours creating these detailed places and ideas and what the encounter is going to be like and and all of the npcs for it and right. stuff like that. I think there's a lot of people that do that. Whether they get to use it or not is the, is the question. Yeah, yeah, I, exactly. And and I, I, there was one that I, I did use, I came up with, was a goblin hideout. And I did use, and it was D&D. And I really liked the fact that I got to use it because it was something that had I had really worked on the ideal of it. Like, what would a goblin, what would a goblin hideout or underground not even a hideout, but what would an underground warren look like and why would they do certain things and how would they live in there? And so came up with these ideas where they would have areas where they would cook things or have fires and they would have to have smoke trails up to or tunnels or vents, I guess would be the word. And the players went in and they were real cautious and stuff like that. And it was a really neat map that I made up it was only one page on graph paper, but it worked out pretty good. And I think the players had, as I remember, the players had a fun time going through that whole uh, complex. But I was really excited because that was one of the few times, well, not the few times, that's not true. That was one of the times that I made this map without really thinking about who was going to play with it, playing it, and then actually using it pretty quickly in, in the game. So I think that is, to me, was... I like about making a map and then having the players go through it and experience it and have fun with it. Those other ones that I never got to use, you know, they're just memories. And, and, and I think I still have them somewhere, in some file somewhere. But I think is in the past, like when you're a kid and teenager and you are the kind of kid who doesn't have a lot of homework, though I know kids these days have a lot of homework. Back when I was going to school, I did all my homework in school, and then I was free all day. So when you have a ton of time, it's not such a big deal. But when you get older, you have a job, you have other duties or responsibilities. Time is sort of precious, and when you make up something or you take time to draw something, you 
want to use it. Okay. And you don't want to waste time is another thing, right? You said it's not a complete waste of time, but it's something that you want to use and not. I think I think it's called downtime, dude. <laughs> What's that mean, downtime? What do you mean? It's like when I read a book oh. for a couple hours at night so I can relax. Oh, I guess that's true. Some people do that. I can say that I, I had fun time drawing it and stuff and coming up with ideas and where to put things and how to draw it and stuff. So how does this fit into the big picture versus detailed stuff? Well, in big picture, you don't do any maps really, right? You just kind of you come up with ideas. And then with, the, with that, you present your ideas to your players. And you let the players do all the fine or the small world thinking, right? It's a little different than when you give a, a person a map or a or direction to go to, right? Which is to me it seems more detailed, right? Like if you like a lot of times I run a military campaign, you just give person the orders, right? It shortcuts the players having to think, well, what should we do? Well, there's no thinking about what you should do. Those you, are the orders. You got your orders to do. But are they? But you could do that two ways. You could do it as a big picture game where you give them the orders and you let them go and figure it out. But my question is. When they get to the town or wherever they're supposed to go and whatever they're supposed to do, do you give them a map? Well, a lot of times you don't have that ahead of time thinking, right? Because uh, when I'm looking at big picture, you don't have a lot of details written out. What you have is maybe a main plot, maybe some NPCs or main things that main people that are involved, ideas, or even if you write them down and you have a vague idea of what the players are going to do. And then you let the players do what they're going to do. Well, what if they? The what if their uh, their mission is to rescue a, a fellow officer somewhere? When they get to that somewhere, wherever they they decide that is, or wherever they find uh, them, are is there is do you have something for them to be able to go in and get him out, or do you just is it just all theater of the mind and whatever they come up with? I think a lot of times when you use that big world type of idea you don't have maps right because you can't predict what the players are going to do and you don't can't predict where the players are going to go especially when you leave it up to them as to okay how are you going to do this and there is anything they can do but you could say you could have it in your head that the person is is in a closet in this in a house. It doesn't matter where that house is right that's true yeah I guess that's what I'm, I'm saying in a certain sense you can do that but then again when you when they get to that house is it a detailed drawing of a house i don't think it draft, has a draftsman style you know you have i don't think it has to be labeled which way they open and close or do you just like get a, a a wet erase marker and put a square on a on a mat and say this is the house well that's the way you do it imagine ima- use your imagination <laughs> like spongebob says use your imagination but do you have a an encounter planned as to, you know, there's there's six guys guarding this person or something? Well, I think you can do that. You could plan something like that. But I think you could easily just come up with that stuff on the fly, depending on the game that you're running. Because you have to, because you don't know what the players are going to do. Like the players can, the players can be really, I mean, depending on the situation, let's say police procedural, right? They're cops. NCIS or whatever, and they're, they find that their commanding officer is hidden away in some cabin or wherever it is, right? So then they're going to go in. Now, depending on the players, right, they could either just go there and 
not plan nothing. It's like, we're just going to show up and see what take out, look at what it looks like, and bust in. Right? Or they're going to be the real tactical people who are like, okay, we're going to miss go out the house. We want to see what, what entrances they have, what areas of egress and degress and all this bull crap, right? And they can like, oh, we're going to try to tunnel underneath the ground or all, all kinds of kind of things. That seems like a lot of work. <laughs> you know, it could be like, the, oh, we don't, want to, we don't want a high body count. We don't want to kill anybody. Well, then it's not in CIS, the TV show, because <laughs> there's always a high body well, count. Well, it depends on which one you watch, right? Yes. <laughs> And see, the regular NCIS, they don't kill as many people. The other ones, you forget about it. They're never going to question you. What are bulletproof vests? That's real, real, NCIS, real NCIS agents wouldn't be like that, I'm sure. <laughs> we're talking about, yeah, we're talking about, we're talking about TV. We're talking about TV and games, which are pretty close to as reality as you're going to get. So there's different ways you're going to approach. And so when you have a group that is just going to go in, uh, the only groups oh, I play with, that's what they do. You're going to go in there gonzo without a plan. That's going to require a different kind of map. I'm just going to put something down on a, on a, on a, on a, on a play mat where people are, are going to plan stuff out. Okay, that well, could you say to this, plant, to I think that what you want, the big picture thing, when you get to the, I think the big picture is saying you have to go rescue this person, right? Sure. And you let them go. And then you, when they get there to rescue the person, either you're going to have to have them describe what the house looks like and what they're doing, or you're going to have to have it whatever, wherever it is they're rescuing the person, right? Right. Or you're going to have to give them an idea when they say, oh, what, does it, what do you see? What do I see when I look through my binoculars at this, at this cabin? You're going to have to give them an idea or pull up a picture on the internet, right? This is right. what the cabin looks like. <laughs> right. And you can even get floor... No, what is it? Though? I don't know that I would go as far as floor, floor plans. Floor plans. I mean, it, I mean it, makes it, it makes it more interesting for the players if they're going to be looking at it tactically. Yeah. If they're going to go in Gonzo, all you need is just a couple squares and maybe something that signifies a couch or a table and wherever the person is hidden. Liminal, when we played that, that was a good one for looking stuff up on your phone, right? Correct. Because it's a modern game, right? Well, if you were playing a, if you're playing an NCIS game, you you could do the same thing. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I, and I like that. I like that idea in modern games is the ability to use your the phone. Yeah, uh, I thought when I when we were playing Liminal, and because the creators are obviously pretty smart, and when they use their when they make their adventures, what they what they what they call case notes. They know that people are going to have phones, and they make their games so that people can actually look up the the whatever the thing is. Correct, correct. Like the ghosts of Glen something. Cause Glen I Co. I believe it, is the name of the the area. Okay, which which was really cool because <laughs> the guys that we were playing with it was a it was Saul never lets us look up anything, and all of a sudden everybody could look up stuff on their phone, and it was amazing the the feeling that that I got from them that they, oh, I can do this. And then they look it up and they go, is this it? And then they're reading it, right? And they're like, oh, this is it. <laughs> right, right. And I, I think I talked about that. We talked about that in the past when we talked about Liminal. And I thought that was, that was really neat. I mean, that's one, of the, that's one of the surprises that I had when I run games is when players get really excited about things and just, like wow right that was like really cool and uh, you know i talked about my moderate dresden game when they were talking about when they find out 
the when they finally figured out who the villain is or what's causing all the problems, it was that elation, right? And at the same, this was a little bit more low key. They weren't all yelling and screaming and high fiving each other, but it was very. There were that look of surprise where oh, I can look it up on my phone and Google it or Wikipedia it or whatever you want to call it. And then, and then when they find out that the mission about ghosts at Glencoe is like something that has been happening for hundreds of years according to legend local legend and it's something they could look up i mean they, they don't, i don't have to give them this something i typed up and came up with in in my own mind it's something that they could just look up uh i think the first the first case of this was the it's called the the it was about the book right the book the book i don't know the, are you talking about... Oh, no, no. I was not talking about Liminal. I was talking about... I think it was a, a game for an adventure for Supernatural where they look at the monster at Brock Hill or something like that, right? And it's a local legend. If you look up Brock Hill, that's not the name of the city. I just made it up. But there is a city or a town where a werewolf, uh, uh, something or other, something looks like a werewolf, has been sighted there for literally hundreds of years. It's like the big feats. Yeah, like big feats. But this is a monster that looks like a werewolf, right? Uh, I think they call it the the monster Bray Road because there's a road that's called Bray, and that's where it's sighted, where people are driving by all the time. So at the time, the person who was who had written the the adventure had actually made a website and put it on the web, and so you could actually just go to the website and they could look it up. Now, this is even better because you don't have to have a website to make it right, up. Right. This is something that you can actually go and use uh, legends. And, and, and that's a, a, an amazing thing about Limino is that because it's based in England, and you could base this, you could use this idea anywhere. I mean, everywhere you go has local legends, right? Right. That somebody even, whether it's true or not, somebody will write something about it and put it on the internet. And so when you go look it up, and it matches and it goes with what the adventure you're working on. That's just, that's pure gold. And it's really neat. So that's a mixture of big picture and actual stuff, right? Or like. Well, I think, it, I don't know. I don't know why I never thought of that. The idea of using local legends, especially in my modern games. And adding. That would be pretty cool in like Weird War too. Weird War or, you know, a detective game, even in California, I'm sure there's all kinds of local legends. Well, you've done that. Like that. You did that kind of with, not local legends, but you did that with the Monterey, Dresden, right. local right. stuff, which was cool for players that are from Salinas and Monterey, Monterey. <laughs> area. Yeah, but uh, that was the setting though, right? Right. They knew where stuff was, Right. But I never actually used a real... No, I know, but, but just knowing that you're... You you say you're standing there um, next to Bubba Gumps and uh, and you're like oh I know where I know exactly where that is right and I think that's that's pretty neat I I did do that and I thought it was really I thought it was really neat because because Monterey is such a popular place whether whether you're from anywhere in the world or here in California most people have been to Monterey Monterey at least once because it is a tourist location unlike Salinas which is not really a tourist location. But, Not unless uh, they got lost. <laughs> they got lost. Or unless they're really into Steinbeck, right? So there you go. So when you go to Monterey and I mention, oh, you're on Fisherman's Wharf, a lot of people can envision that, right? Because they've been to Fisherman's Wharf. I think you're you're saying that because you've been there a lot of times, but I don't think that, I mean, every time we go there in the summer, it's all tourists from other countries because they're all speaking different languages. Right, but I'm, but I'm saying a lot of people from California probably been to Monterey. Okay. Probably. As tourists. 
<laughs> so the big picture here is is that you come up, you have this big picture and big big idea, and you present it to the players, and you let the players do whatever they're gonna do. Not the problem, but a hurdle with that is, or not even a hurdle, but what happens is that the players really have to step up and drive the story, right? Because they they're the ones that because if the players don't like are proactive in their own investigation or in their own and what they're going to do and what they're going to do the the story stops right and of course as a gm you have to be able to give some information to the players to kind of not push them but lead them into a certain direction and that is to help their investigation or help whatever they're trying to solve or what their mission is but for the most part, it's the players who like are asking questions and they're going, okay, we're going to go over here. Or I think this, they come up if people, players who come up with theories are like your GM's best friend, right? Because they're like, yeah, that's a good idea. Go for it. So then you, they're working on, the, on their own ideas and how to figure out and where to go. And that's the kind of players you need when you run this kind of game. When you run a, a dungeon or a clearing of a steading or anything like that that has a map, detailed map, and encounters along the way. There's not a lot that the players have to come up with except to figure out which way they're going to go and how to handle the encounters that they're going to encounter or whatever the adventure is about, right? Like, for example, I remember, I remember, I think I've mentioned before, I've, I remember I got Top Secret, the box set, and I was like super excited. And they have this uh, adventure inside the, inside the book called Spectrus Zeal. I don't even know how to pronounce it. That was the name of the town. And as far as I can remember, there was no adventure, right? It was just location, people, and that's it. And each each person had like, oh, this person is KGB operative, right? And he has uh, uh, a certain kind of gun in this lock case inside his. And this was like a a small, I guess it was an Italian tourist town. But there was no adventure. And I was like, kept reading, reading, going, well, what am I supposed to send? What am I supposed to do with the players? Uh, why are they here? And and I and I realized that it was just a location, and I was supposed to come up with my own adventure and send them there, and they they would you would use that location and that and that scenario, if I use that term, to run my games in, and that totally confused me at the time. I mean, I was like ten, so that idea of just having a setting and the GM having to come up with stuff. It was kind of foreign to me because the module was to tell me was to tell me what to tell the adventures, right? And in fact, you know the the dreaded box text that people hate now, right? And now you enter the the dungeon. It is chilly. It is whatever you know. You give the description, and the problem with that is that the delivery, right? Like if you could if you could read it real well and and make it so it doesn't sound like you're reading. That's good, but if it sounds like and a lot of people just look down and read it, and they're like, oh, "Okay, this is really exciting." But I, that's what I was expecting, and that's not what I got. And I thought it was like, and then it wasn't until I got the second adventure called Operation Fast Pass, Fast Pass, and that was like a traditional. This is your mission. Here you go. You're supposed to go on this thing, and then I didn't have any players to play it because <laughs> when I ran the first one, I'm like, well, "What are we doing?" I go, "I don't know. Uh, look for something." <laughs> you know what I mean? And it wasn't a complete success. It wasn't a complete success. <laughs> so detailed, the poem, not the poem. So detailed, detailed world or detailed idea. The players don't have to invest so much of their own ideas and they don't have to push the story forward other than choosing which way to go. Well, a lot of times if you're playing a mystery game or a 
a game where you have to, you're an investigative game where you have to go and find the clues, right? right? And you have to go to a certain location to see what you can see to move the adventure to the next, to like if you're trying to solve something right? and you have to get the clues to solve it, right? that would be a detail game, right? There would have to be details. Yes, yes. Well, you're currently playing in Blade Runner, right? Yes. And it's an investigative game. Yes. And you guys have uh, gone to different places, asked pe- different questions, and given different clues and pieced together stuff in this adventure. So. Yes, and I think I can, I can talk for my other two players and say that sometimes it feels like we're banging our head against the wall because we're not sure what the clues are that we're trying to get. Right, right. But and, and that, that has a lot to do with, we haven't played an investigative game for a while, so you got to get into the swing of things, right? I think that's true. I think when you, that is a detailed game, I think, because it has, it has the clues and it has locations and you kind of have to go to those locations to get the clues. Now, how the players interpret those clues, you know, that, that's totally up in the air, right? And, and like you said, I think when you play those kind of games, it it really does help having experience, right? Because like you get better at it. I mean, when you are used to action type of games or things are happening, and you have to think quick on your feet and escape and come up with ideas of of how to deal with certain things. An investigation game is totally different. Is it the time sequence is slower? You're looking at things, you're asking questions and stuff like that, and and this Blade Runner scenario looks really neat, right? Because I, there's all kinds of handouts that I give you guys, and you guys look at the hang, handouts. And like one of the things didn't pop up in your minds, or you guys didn't come up with anything, or didn't notice it. The player didn't notice it. Well, don't tell us. And I know, no, but but it doesn't matter because you guys figure it out later. But it was like the, there's two, there's a few pictures, and you're like, and people are supposed to like notice something right the players are supposed to notice something but i'm like well the players aren't playing it's that their characters are playing but i thought it was interesting how they did decide to do that it doesn't matter because you guys figured it out anyway but i thought it was interesting how that game is run or how it's supposed to work an investigative game to me like gumshoe is i would say much better but what it does it automatically gives you the clues because Without the clues, the game doesn't go forward. Right. And that's that's the problem with investigative games is it can't be a and d game because you can't roll to get the clues because if you don't get the clue, the game doesn't go forward. And if you miss the die roll, it's like that locked door that nobody can get past, right? Okay, we're just going to sit here until uh, 10 minutes has passed by so we can try. But to uh, a good GM would would just... Well, Help you out on that. It's in the module. This is the rules uh, yeah, so you can't try again. Yeah, you know what I'm yeah. saying? So I think, and like, it doesn't make any sense. I like, I remember playing uh, original D and D and A D and D when you couldn't go through a door, you couldn't try again. Just you couldn't. And I go, well, why can't? And, and in my, I knew the rules said that, and I understood that the rules were there for a reason. But in my brain, but in your brain, if your dad needed to get through a door, he was going to try more than one time, right? Right. And no matter how abject failure he tried the first time he'd get out of the axe and yeah, take the he, door down he, or he'd just like slowly work it where however he needed to do it that's what mo- the way most people are you know, especially stubborn people <laughs> right 
they're not gonna get beat. So I was always, I always thought it was weird. I go, okay, you can't try again. I'm like, oh, then somebody, and then, and then you get really embarrassed, right? Because you got this, this, <laughs> this in AD and D they had 18 strength, and then they had percentile strength, mm-hmm. which really, you know, so the 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 most powerful was 18 double zero. Imagine rolling that because you had to do it randomly. Cheaters out there who had 18 double zero strength. Anyway, I didn't have 18 double zero strength, but let's say I had a 17, a 17 strength or 18. With a percentage, and I try to bust down the door, and I don't, I don't get out. I don't roll the right number. Oh, dude, you can't roll again. Then somebody with a twelve strength goes, "I'll try to open the door." Boom, they get lucky to open the door. I mean, oh, you must have, what, what is it? You must have loosened up the door for me. So that doesn't happen in Gumshoe because they just give you a clue right away. That's it. You just go to the scene. You have the right skill. Let's say you have, I don't know, whatever skill, and they give you that clue. And then the interesting thing is, is if you want to spend points, you can spend points to get a better clue or more information, which I thought is really neat. I think that's what investigative games. In this game, in, in, in uh, Blade Runner, it's a little bit more uh, old style where you roll for in, to notice or you roll for uh, stuff like that. But they also have, in the, in the starter kit, they give you all kinds of like pictures and stuff to hand out to players. And like... The problem with that is maybe the players aren't going to notice stuff. Well, and the problem with rolling is, you know, when all three of us roll badly, none of us get an actual hit. Then, right. or, or you're just, there's three people standing there going, okay. <laughs> let's uh, just keep looking. <laughs> <laughs> let's go look over here. <laughs> yeah. I think I think that's a, always a problem with investigative games. I think... Uh, Blade Runner doesn't really answer that question as to maybe it does if players don't get the clue, but I think you guys are going going pretty well. I think you guys are easily getting almost almost every clue that you've been given or is uh, is uh, available there, available. But then there's always the red herring, like oh, what does this mean? I'm like oh, I don't know. you guys can keep. You know. But you know, in this game, that if you get a clue, you get a picture, or you see something. It's probably meant to be seen. It's probably meant to be recognized. If there's a handout, you probably, is there something in it you're supposed to figure out? Right, right. And I thought that was interesting. And that is interesting. I mean, because like, I don't know. I don't, it's just weird that, that you're right. Because somebody has a handout for to give you. The GM gives you something. They're like, oh. Oh, there's something on here. Something needs something. And then you're trying to, the, the worst so that's, thing is that's, you don't that's, want to rack your brain trying to figure out what on this little picture is the, so That's the difference between the big picture that the players use their player agency. And we're still using our player agency because we don't have to figure out all the clues, right? Right. Because maybe we just don't want to do that. Yeah. But it's different. It's different from as the players are figuring it out on their own versus you need to see this handout so you can get the you can figure out what what it is right right so that's the difference between detail oriented versus yes and then like I said I think when you have big pictures is something the GM really has to like have a certain set of skills like you know I've I've t- I mean no not <laughs> sorry I have a certain set of skills. <laughs> Liam Nielsen, damn that bastard. Okay, so you have to be able to to as a GM, you have to be able to be able to roll with the punches a lot sometimes, you know. And that means to me, that means you have to have a what is that term? A 
you got to be able to think on your feet, right? You got to have some improvisational skills, even though improvisational skills is something that's come up lately in the world of RPGs. When we used to play, we did sometimes do a little bit of role playing and stuff like that, but they were pretty straightforward adventures, right? This is the mission. This is what you got to do. Bada bing, bada boom. But now it's like games have become more nuanced, like the Blade Runner game. This is an investigation. You're trying to piece together what's going on. You're trying to look at for clues and stuff like that. So as a GM, you have to be able to react to people, what they're doing. And if you don't, and, and if you don't have a lot of details down, then you have to come up with them on the fly. And I think that I've talked about in the past in previous episodes that improvisation is a, is a skill that every GM should be working on because it's not a natural thing, right? It's a lot of times it's not. It's not natural to think on your feet unless you're a gifted person in that, in that world, in that sense. Some people are, like people who are naturally comedic and, and, and are able to respond to people joking with you and but you know throw it right back at you the people who think on their feet like that but some of us are not like that and so we have to practice our that muscle and i think uh as more and more people like those kind of games where it's really open and they want to experience a different experience at the game table other than hack and slashing killing monsters taking their stuff you're going to be in that boat where players don't want to experience well why is the villain doing this you know instead of just having this, this paper cardboard bad guy going i am want to be master of the world you know well what's his motivation right right that kind of thing and i think that's the way a lot of games are going a lot of players want to you know experience is a full game that isn't so cut and dry so if you're looking at big picture or that's something that that you got to work on is your your ability to improvise or ability to roll with the punches and ability to, to go with what the players are coming up with. When players have a lot of agency, you got to be able to think on your feet really quickly as to to what they're going to do because sometimes they're going to throw you a lot of curveballs and you're like, what the hell are we doing now? And you just got to, it, it cannot look like a deer in the headlights because then some players are going to take advantage of that. Well, not advantage, but they're going to notice that and they're like, oh. Jim isn't ready for this, right? Or Phil isn't ready for this. You're like, oh, I'll be right back. I go to the bathroom. I think that there's both ways of GMing. I think, one, you can really get a lot of uh, surprises as a GM uh, uh, when you run a big picture kind of game compared to a, a detailed, this is a kind of you know, adventure going down a certain path. Because... Though they can surprise you a little bit in those games, when people come up with these crazy ideas and crazy ways to solve the situation, that's where I think I get a lot most of my enjoyment, and that's why I run those type of games. Is when I'm not sure what's going to happen, and when when they surprise me, and I'm going, and I'm being entertained at that point. And I've said it in the past when players surprise me with, uh, "Wow, I don't know where you came up with that idea, but that's freaking really neat." But they could do that on either kind of game, right? They can, but it happens more and more often when I'm, when I let the players just like run with the adventure, right? When I not let, when I give the players a world that they can just go at it and do whatever they want. Okay, I'm just gonna say players are gonna do that anyway. Yeah, well, because I've seen you have all of these things and and they decide that no, they're not even gonna go that way. <laughs> this is the this. 
we're going to do true. this and yeah. you go and you go with it that's the that's when you're when the gm is doing their job by well not forcing you to go over there and encounter all of this stuff because you want to bypass it and you've decided this is the way you're going to go right right and there's some some won't let you off that rail right they're like no you can't do that i go this is what i have planned you go off of there the game's over right and i think i think that that happens less and less and i think that's good for the players right. And it's good for the GM. So there you go. If you are adventurous and you haven't tried to do the big picture game or you do big picture games all the time, you could try to put in some encounters for your people and see what happens. Different kinds of things like that, right? Right. So there you go. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. And you have a good day.